Spring deals at Ross will have you saying, it's a yes for me. Say yes to trending looks like tube tops, dad shorts, and mini skirts for less than online, or vintage tees and beach shorts for a weekend getaway. With all the styles to choose from, there's a yes around every corner. Because saving money and looking good is what you do. It's a yes for you and your bank account. Hit up Ross for your certified yes for me moment. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. So I found that in my lab, if we introduce a little bit of stress, so if we stick our hand in a bucket of ice, it causes a stress response in our brain. We kick in our fight or flight and our amygdala, our brain's emotional center, is busy managing that stress. So I took things like skin response to stress, heart rate, uh, you know, reporting of stress, and all of these are elevated. So people are actually feeling very stressed just from one minute in a bucket of ice, your hand in a bucket of ice. But that minute is enough to flip the switch in your brain and help you make a, a rational decision. So if that's something you're wanting to do and you're struggling, you know, to put aside the other thoughts, find a bucket of ice. <laughs> and in one minute, you can... Uh, you know, switch the track in your brain to make a, a more rational decision. You're listening to She with Jordan Lee Dooley, a personal development podcast for the everyday woman. Come invited, leave ignited. Here's your host, Jordan Lee Dooley. Hey, Dr. Tracy, welcome to She. Thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. (laughs) Yes, absolutely. I'm looking forward to this conversation and for everyone to hear about all that you share and your knowledge and your experience and everything. I'm really looking forward to it. But before we dig in, can you share a little bit about your background? What caused you to pursue psychology and now a lot more specifically to research uh, women's brain a lot more in depth? Can you share more about how you got into what you're doing and then how that evolved into really researching the female brain in more depth now. Sure. You know, it was actually a career day in high school that got me interested in psychology. And I've been on that path ever since. Right out of my PhD program, I was awarded a few government-funded projects where I had a chance just to begin looking at how the brain works from a very early age. So my first major population that I worked with were four and five-year-old children as they were starting school Mm. and beginning to understand how their brain works. For me, when it comes to this book, the big reason that made me interested in this was as I was doing research and beginning to learn about how we make decisions. And I noticed a lot of times the research was presented with the broad brushstroke. So in other words, a kind of one size fits all. But as I began to dive into even my own research findings and and other lab findings, there were a lot of nuances. While on the surface, it may look like decisions were similar or different, they were different motivators or drivers. And I wanted to unpack and explore some of that. And mostly because, you know, as I would begin speaking, I often 
hear women say different things like, well, you know, expressing imposter syndrome or feeling like they weren't measuring up to a standard that they thought. And I began to wonder, you know, is this a myth that we're believing? Do our brains work so differently that, you know, and, and how ultimately can we lean into some of the strengths of our brain? What are these strengths? And so that's really what uh, drove me to want to write this book, Think Like a Girl. Yeah, I was going to say, I was going to ask you to share the title. I love that. You guys, the book that um, Dr. Tracy wrote is called Think Like a Girl, 10 Unique Strengths of a Woman's Brain and How to Make Them Work for You. So that just immediately intrigues me. So let's dig into a little bit more about this topic. And then if you're listening and you want to learn even more, you can go grab the book. But, you know, Dr. Mm-hmm. Tracy, in our culture today, I think in an effort not to be seen as weaker than or inferior to men, women want to be seen as being no different from men at times. What do you think could be the danger of this thinking or maybe even where we could be holding ourselves back when we're trying to maybe not necessarily be no different, but be right. We want to make sure we're equal and we want to make sure everything is fair. And sometimes I think that can then tip into feeling like, oh gosh, we have to think like a guy. Right. And so I'd love to hear your thoughts on this. Yeah, actually, the the one uh, situation that I saw this play out a lot is especially in the workplace mm-hmm. and in leadership roles. And, you know, as I would interview women or I would be speaking at different companies and hear women come up to me, a lot of women would be sharing, uh, and, and not just with me, even on discussion boards and forums where they felt they had to, you know, dress like a man or even their mentors or um, their, you know, higher ups would tell them, you know, you need to act a certain way that would appear more masculine to do well to be successful as a leader. And um, so that, that first of all, intrigued me. And as I was doing research, and even from my own lab, I found two very interesting things. The first piece of research that I found was that when women adopt what researchers call more masculine traits, so this would be, you know, maybe expressing themselves very loudly or aggressively. And again, the researchers, you know, adopted, uh, identified these as being more masculine traits. But when women adopted this type of behavior, they were actually perceived as being a weaker leader by their male colleagues. Hmm. So it was counterproductive, which for me was so fascinating. So here, you know, we're being told to act a particular way, to speak a certain way, when actually it's harming us in the workplace. We're not being perceived as strong leaders. So that was the first interesting thing. And then I wanted to follow that up in my research lab. And uh, the next thing I was looking at was leadership styles. And here, what was interesting is that leadership is not a trait. We're not born with it. It's not like, you know, extroversion or introversion. It's actually a style that we adopt. Like, you know, do I want to wear a red dress today or a blue dress? And it's not, it's, we're not kind of locked in. And when I shared this with a, a female entrepreneur, she, she was really surprised. She actually shared that for her, she would always tell herself, you know, I was born this kind of leader. This is my trait, you know, my leadership sort of stand. And for her, it was really surprising to know that it's a style that we adopt. And they're largely speaking two styles. One, something called transactional, where we're goal-directed. We're deadline-driven. We know our project is due in a certain time. We work towards getting that accomplished. The second style is something called a transformative style. And that's where we're more collaborative. We're working together as a team, you know, kind of let's throw all ideas on the table, work through that together. And what I found was really interesting in my lab that when women, even millennial leaders, uh, female leaders, when they adopted a style that was not authentic to who they were, they reported feeling more stress and experienced burnout much more quickly. 
And so that was, I believe. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And for me, that was so fascinating to, to find out in the data too, that, you know, first of all, that it's a style and knowing that, that you can actually change the style you use in the situation. But if you don't, if you think, well, this is my leadership, you know, hat and I have to wear it all the time, that can actually make us feel more stressed and feel burnout a lot more quickly. Wow, that is so fascinating. As you were sharing that, I was just thinking of different situations in my own life that I, you know, even experienced that. And I'm like, oh my gosh, that makes so much sense why that could be. As much Mm. as it's something that seems counter, like you said, it's like, it's kind of counterproductive. And how frustrating, you know, it's like, man, we were told (laughs) all this time. I would also love to hear, uh, just kind of piggybacking off of that. I know in your book that you, you share 10 unique strengths of a woman's brain. Would you mm-hmm. mind sharing a couple of those that you think are often overlooked or maybe even that we tend to underutilize as women? Yes. Yeah, so one of the myths that I often hear, and I, in fact, you know, put that as the first chapter because it was so prevalent, um, is that women are emotional under stress when we're making decisions, that we're kind of emotional decision makers. And I wanted to really explore that. Is that really how our brain is set up? And again, um, you know, just because something is part of our neurochemistry, it's not deterministic. There's lots of research to show that uh, there's ways in which to, you know, lead into strengths to work around our, our neurochemistry and so on. But the emotional decision making, I wanted to explore that using a very well known dilemma. It's called the trolley dilemma. Some of your listeners may be familiar with it. It's actually made its way into some popular TV shows. And the setup is simple. You're a bystander and you see this trolley or this train that is coming at top speed towards you. And you can see that it's going to harm or injure five people. But you can save the day by switching the track of the train and it'll only harm one person instead of five. And what will you do? And so here, you know, even in the lab, my own lab, you you know, a lot of times people will actually personalize this decision making process. They will say, I can't do it. And, you know, we report a spike in their physiological signs of stress. So they're actually taking this decision, you know, pretty seriously, even though it's you know obviously very artificial. Um, And we know that our brain has two decision making pathways. We have a hot decision making center. That's the emotional decision making center. So the amygdala. The brain's emotional center is firing and saying, you know, oh, I can't make this decision. It's very difficult. And then we have the cold decision-making pathway. That's the front of the brain, the prefrontal cortex. And this is the more rational, utilitarian decision. We kind of, we weigh the pros and cons and we think, well, what's best case scenario here? Mm -hmm. And often in this dilemma, women are found to make a, a hot decision Um, And a lot of that, as the research is showing, it's coming from a very different place than we think. It's actually coming because women are motivated by a desire to protect. Hmm. We don't want to cause harm. And as a result, it looks like we're making an emotional decision because we're saying we don't want to do anything. We don't want to cause harm. How can we avoid making that, that decision? And as a result, it's perceived as being emotional. So that was the first interesting thing that I found that actually what on the surface may seem like perhaps a less effective decision is actually coming from such a powerful place, a desire, you know, to protect and to keep safe. So that is really, for me, when I was, you know, doing the research and writing up that chapter was just a game changer. Mm -hmm. That is so fascinating. I mean, even just thinking about that, I, again, it's one of those things where I'm like, look, I'm thinking immediately of certain decisions that I've made that felt very stressful. 
And if I Mm. really think about it, I'm like, the reason that felt very emotional for me was because ultimately I was trying to protect my family or my health or my husband or someone Mm -hmm. that I loved. It's like, wow. And and then when you can look at it through that lens, it puts a positive spin on it. Because I think sometimes, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think when we hear like women make decisions emotionally, that sounds negative. That sounds, it, you know, that does. sounds like it's a put down. But if you actually get to the root of it, it's coming from a really powerful place. I love that you shared that. Yeah. And, and the next level of that was something that I discovered in my lab, sort of building on that. I wanted to know what if, you know, could you actually flip the switch on that decision making? So let's say you're headhunted for a job and your, your instinct is to think, desire to protect. I don't want to let my boss down. What about my team that I've been working so hard together with, building up together? And so we, you know, may be just, again, looking just and wanting to protect the people around us. And so I found that in my lab, if we introduce a little bit of stress, so if we stick our hand in a bucket of ice, it causes a stress response in our brain. We kick in our fight or flight and our amygdala, our brain's emotional center, is busy managing that stress of our hand in a bucket of it ice. It does? Even stress does. in a bucket of ice? Um, a hand in a bucket it, of ice causes stress? Yes. What? Yes. My mind is blown. <laughs> and so uh, I found that in my lab, there are physiological signs. So I took things like skin response to stress, heart rate, uh, you know, reporting of stress, and all of these are elevated. So people are actually feeling very stressed just from one minute in a bucket of ice, your hand in a bucket of ice. Mm-hmm. But that minute is enough to flip the switch in your brain and help you make a uh, a rational decision. So if that's something you're wanting to do and you're struggling, you know, to put aside the other thoughts, mm-hmm. find a bucket of ice, <laughs> yeah. and in one minute you can, uh, you know, switch the track in your brain to make a, a more rational decision. Wow. That is so interesting. I, you know, I find that interesting. And the reason I'm so intrigued by it is because I think sometimes we don't think of something as simple as that introducing stress into our bodies or our brains. I think to me, if I think of stress, I think of, you know, meeting a deadline or, you know, those kind of things. And so when you say even something that simple, like a physical experience like that can actually trigger that into your brain, it's like, oh my Mm -hmm. gosh, I'm probably so much more stressed than I even realized. Um, (laughs) That's so fascinating. Oh my goodness. Okay. I have another question I'm curious about. Um, What are some common myths that women fall into believing about themselves that you have been able to debunk in your research? Would you be able to counter a myth or two that we maybe tend to believe about ourselves, but that you've been able to debunk? Yeah, I think a big one is also in the workplace. And this is the idea that we have to be very empathetic in the workplace. Mm -hmm. And this actually can be harmful for us as women. Um, Some researchers have called, have coined a phrase called ruinous empathy when we're too empathetic. And so as a result, we don't give feedback. We're constantly thinking, well, we don't want to, you know, hurt their feelings or what will they think? Or, you know, they've worked really hard. So we, we don't want to give negative feedback. And it's not that it has to be negative, but we, we may conflate feedback as simply just being negative rather than, you know, constructive feedback. So uh, this idea of empathy, we may, you know, kind of run the gamut of perhaps being too empathetic in the workplace, so much so that we actually are not providing effective ways for our team, uh, you know, for the people that we're working with. And it's just something to to keep in mind as women in the workplace. Yeah, that's so interesting. Because I think, would you say that, and maybe I'm, this is totally my guess, so I would love to hear your thoughts, but would you say that empathy is typically considered more of a feminine trait? Or is that something 
you know, when we think about other other things that we talked about, like making emotional decisions, things like that, mm. is being empathetic in the workplace often assumed to be something that's more feminine and that women feel they need to do, or is it not? Yeah, that's a great question. And that is definitely something that I explored in the book as well, whether we're born uh, with more sort of empathy genes or kind of empathy feelings. Um, and in fact, there are a lot of twin studies looking at genetic code to find that that's not the case. It's not that we are necessarily wired to be more empathetic as women. However, our society and our culture does encourage and reward it a lot more. Mm -hmm. So, you know, think of a young child or, you know, young girl, especially whenever they're thoughtful or they share something, we probably praise them more than we may a young boy. Um, and so we learn from a very early age that they are lots of rewards for being empathetic, for thinking of the other person. And so we just continue that behavior. And of course, these are positive behaviors. And we do know that empathy is learned. It is a learned skill. And as much as we learn a language, we have to learn how to reflect that. Now, in our brain, we do have something called mirror neurons. And like the name suggests, it mirrors other people's behaviors. So if you think of a mother and infant communicating, you know, the mother is cooing, the infant will Mirror, the same tone and intonation. And there's you know, lots of research looking at the pitch that if the mother's tone goes up, the infant's tone goes up as well to match hers. Mm. And this um, is an example of a very early sign of empathy building. And so yeah. you do find that, you know, when parents communicate a lot, even if it's just simply cooing uh, with their baby, that is uh, a great building block or precursor of helping our child develop that that empathy skill, that mm. reflecting what the uh, the tone is, the, the mood is, looking at the eyes and, and getting a sense of the emotion. Did you say those are called mirror, mirror neurons? Can you say that again? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. They're called mirror neurons, like huh. looking in a mirror. So interesting. <laughs> that is so interesting. Did you know that 85% of the grass-fed beef in stores is imported from overseas? I know, I was shocked when I found that out too. You would actually struggle to find American meat in the store, even if you tried. Here's why. The product of the USA tag isn't exactly what you think it is. Foreign countries can actually process their meat here and then label it like it came from the USA, when in reality, it was only processed here. Because of these labeling laws that favor foreign imported meat, over 100,000 independent American farms and ranches have closed since 2015. Good Ranchers has been turning this around for four years now by selling 100% American meat. When they say product of the USA, they mean it and can prove it. As I've been on my wellness journey over the last year or two, one thing that I've become really conscious about is where I'm sourcing my food. I want to know where it's coming from, the quality that it truly is. And it can be hard to find companies that do what they actually say they're doing and that are reliable and trustworthy and that provide the quality. So what I love about Good Ranchers when I discovered them recently is that not only do they support American farms and they're 100% American meat, but they also only sell steakhouse quality. Their beef is all USDA graded prime and choice, which is the highest grades beef can receive. Good Ranchers sells the best steaks, gourmet burgers, chicken, seafood, and more. And you can even get those crave-worthy bone-in cuts like T-bones, porterhouses, and ribeyes from them. Plus, their pre-marinated chicken makes meal prep so easy and tasty, which takes the stress out of dinner making. And I am all about stress-free and efficiency when it comes to meal prep and nourishment and all the things we have to do with our lives to feed ourselves and live the busy lives that we do. On top of that, Good Ranchers is also about half the price of those other online meat guys. Your dollar just goes further with them which I love. And I just wish I would have learned about this brand so much earlier in my journey. But here we are. We know about it now. 
Lastly, Good Ranchers donates 10 meals to families in need for every box purchased, so you can do good and eat good at the same time. They have donated over 500,000 meals to date and since they started, which is amazing. If you want to give Good Ranchers a try, which I highly recommend doing, go to goodranchers.com slash Jordan and save $20 or better yet, subscribe and save on each box of mouthwatering American meats that will show up on schedule right to your door. Again, get $20 off and free express shipping if you go to goodranchers.com slash Jordan or use the code Jordan at checkout. That's $20 off and free express shipping at goodranchers.com slash Jordan. I'm Roman Mars, host of 99% Invisible. I'm excited to be teaming up with Lexus GX and SiriusXM on some very special 99PI episodes. We're heading to some of the cities in the U.S. that have special meaning for me and exploring the ways that these cities marry form and function. To learn more about the Lexus GX and SiriusXM and Lexus vehicles, visit Lexus.com slash GX and SiriusXM.com slash Lexus Trial. The all-new Lexus GX. Live up to it. Check out the 99% Invisible feed now and listen to these special episodes. With two little kids, I do most of my shopping online now, but it can be so hard to shop for things like clothes online because I never know if I'm getting good quality until it arrives. The game changer, upgrading to high quality, affordable pieces from Quince. Now I have luxury essentials that transition from one occasion to the next, and I stayed on budget. Quince has so many options to choose from, like 100% Mongolian cashmere sweaters for $50, organic cotton sweaters, washable silk tops, and timeless 14 karat gold jewelry. The best part? All Quince items are priced 50 to 80% less than similar brands. By partnering directly with top factories, Quince cuts out the cost of the middleman and passes the savings on to us. And Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing practices and premium fabrics and finishes. One of my favorite items from Quince is the silk pajamas I got. They are so high quality, luxury pajamas, but not at a luxury price tag. And I just feel like they don't even compare to some of the other pajamas that I have bought online or that I've bought um, just at various different stores. And like, these are incredible. (laughs) Indulge in affordable luxury by going to quince.com slash she for free shipping on your order and 365 day returns. That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash she to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince.com slash she. You can make money the hard way becoming a bullfighter or save money the easy way with Xfinity Mobile. It sure beats making money as a human cannonball. Now through March 21st, learn how existing Xfinity customers can get a free line of unlimited intro for a year when they buy one unlimited line. That's hundreds of dollars in savings on your wireless bill. Visit XfinityMobile.com today. Restrictions apply. Xfinity Mobile requires Xfinity Internet. Reduced speeds after 20 gigabytes of usage per line. Data thresholds may vary. Thrive Market is a go-to for all your grocery and household essentials, and the convenience of getting everything online then quickly shipped to your doorstep is a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with the highest quality ingredients and sourcing methods. They restrict hundreds of ingredients across their food and cleaning categories, and you can use their on-site filters to suit your lifestyle needs. Whether you're looking for organic kid snacks, low-sugar alternatives, or gluten-free pantry essentials, you can curate your own shopping experience with just a few clicks. And when you shop Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one for one membership matching program. You join and they give. I use Thrive Market every single month. I get our dish detergent, dish soap, and various other just basic household essentials that are low-tox and non-tox ingredients. And it is the easiest way to get all of my favorite clean items sent right to my door at an affordable price, I should add. 
Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. Go to thrivemarket.com slash she for 30% off your first order plus a free $60 gift. That's T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash she. Thrivemarket.com slash she. Yeah, I just find that so fascinating because you're right. It's well, and I never really thought about empathy as a skill either. I've often thought of it more mm. as like a feeling or I don't mm-hmm. know, something I it's true though when you think about it, it is kind of something you have to learn. Typically, you learn through those types of experiences like you just said, and I think you also sometimes learn it through going through your own hardship or your own experiences sure. that make you understand, mm-hmm. but wow, I never really thought of that as a learned skill. So that's very fascinating as well. Would you be able to share one more strength of a woman's brain? I know you have 10 in your book, but I'd be curious to hear one more and how we can make those work for us. Yeah. So one of actually my favorite chapters, it comes from the the happy brain chapter where I look and I I know you asked for a strength, but this is maybe even more related to our neurochemistry. And I wanted to explore our mental health as women. And the myth there is, you know, do do women, uh, are they more susceptible to depression compared Mm -hmm. to men? And we do know that the neurochemistry of the female brain is different and it actually has three times more receptors associated with stress and depression. Um, But the interesting thing here from my lab is I wanted to look from a cognitive level, how does our thinking, you know, approach depression and what are some of the buffers that we have? And for women, one of the key factors was the fact that we ruminate. We are overthinkers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, we can just sort of reflect and keep playing over an event again and again in our mind. And in part, it's because of our neurochemistry. But what I found was really powerful, and here's an example of it not being deterministic, is that uh, research shows that simply changing one word can make a difference. So let's say you have a job interview and, you know, um, your, your spouse or your friend says, well, that's great. You know, how'd it go? Uh, you know, you had a sh- uh, this great interview. Yes, but I didn't get to say the things I wanted. Yes, but this and this, you know, that, that but, that overthinking piece comes in. And studies show that by changing the word but to and, yes, and I had a chance to network. And I had a chance to showcase some of my strengths. Yes. And I now know what I'd like to do for my next interview or how I'd like to, you know, do that a little differently. Just changing that word changes our mindset and activates a different part of the brain that's associated with our optimism bias, which Mm. is a, a powerful buffer against experiencing depression. So simply changing a word can help shift our mindset towards a more optimistic outlook. And I think, you know, that that is also very powerful to know that we're not just sort of preset to think a certain way just because of our brain's neurochemistry. Right. Absolutely. That's so interesting. When you were saying that, it made me think of something else. And maybe you know the answer to this, maybe you don't, but I'm going to ask it anyway. Do you think, even just from your professional opinion, do you think that our bodies can follow our brains? Because with what you were saying, it made me think, Mm -hmm. you know, even just turning on, changing that word and turning from this more pessimistic view to this more optimistic mindset. Do you think that the wellness of our overall bodies and our overall lives follow the way that our brains and our mindsets are? Yeah, absolutely. Um, There's something researchers call embodied theory. And I actually talk about that in my clinical practice when I'm with clients. So when someone's experiencing anxiety, you can't talk yourself out of it. Uh, And in fact, you know, most of us are intelligent enough that it's just pinging back and forth. You know, someone says, well, I'm worried about this. And the other part of your brain says, don't worry. And it's just Mm -hmm. this loop that's going to go on. But what I often suggest is to work 
in a reverse direction, sort of reverse engineer that. And so if we stay with mental health, there's research to show that biting a pencil forces, it's your, it's your body telling your brain what to think. So when you bite a pencil, it moves your face into a smile. And it tricks your brain into actually feeling happy. It's called the facial feedback hypothesis because your face, your body is telling your brain, hey, look, your muscles are moving up. That means you're smiling. And if you're smiling, that must mean you're happy. Um, so absolutely, we can do that. Uh, that's one example. Another example is the the power pose, you know, where um, there's research to show that your posture can actually reduce your cortisol levels. That's your stress hormone. So simply sitting up straight, uh, they did a uh, study, compared people from slouching when they were slouching in a chair and they were asked to write down how likely or how confident they were in completing different projects and activities in the workplace. And then they asked them to sit up straight, same activity. How confident were they in completing this activity? Completely different responses. When the people were sitting up, they were far more confident. They responded with more positive attributes about their own abilities and skill set versus when they were slouching. Other studies have found that when we power pose, you know, stand with our hands on our hips, even for two minutes, it showed our stress levels, our cortisol levels declining, and people reported feeling more confident. So I would say, you know, if you can you know, go to a closed room, do a quick power pose for a minute or so before a presentation. That's a great way to bring your stress levels down and to boost your confidence immediately. Well, don't mind me. I'm just going to unslouch myself really quick. <laughs> I'm going to stand up straight. <laughs> that's so. Tr- I mean, that's so fascinating, but it makes complete sense. I mean, I think it's, it, it almost sounds to me like certain things you do with your body, whether that's almost forcing the muscles in your face to smile or power posing or sitting up straight can could affect the way your brain works and then almost like your brain also or your body can also follow your brain like it's just interesting to know like yes it's like obviously they're connected but I don't often think that a lot of times I think we separate like our mental health or our mindset from our physical experience and those things are just so interconnected I mean our brain is in our body but I think because we think of it in terms of mental health and and it's very cerebral like we sometimes can unintentionally disconnect the two so Mm -hmm. I think that's so fascinating a couple other questions I have, one being, based on your research, what are some practical tips that you have for women to improve their decision-making skills? You had mentioned the bucket of ice, but um, we talked a little bit about that, and I think we kind of moved past it quickly. So I want to circle back to that. How can we improve our decision-making skills, especially in um, stressful situations? Yeah, so the bucket of ice is a great way to switch the track in your brain. Another example is to introduce a cognitive stress. So the the ice is a physical stress, but um, you can also introduce a cognitive stress. So if you don't have ice, or if you're you know at work and you're not really able to uh, find ice uh, quickly, counting backwards by sixes from a hundred is very stressful. So a hundred, ninety four, eighty eight, and so on. And whenever I do this, when I'm speaking, you can actually hear this loud groan in the room when I say, okay, let's try this together. And again, in our lab, we found that this is a stressful enough activity where it it switches the track in your brain, your fight or flight response kicks in and allows you to be able to make a more emotional, you know, excuse me, a more cognitive or Mm -hmm. rational decision. Um, Another example is when we're looking at risk and risky decisions. And the myth here that I talk about in the chapter is that Oftentimes, the myth is that women don't make risky decisions. And, and part of the research 
supports that, but in part because uh, the research focuses on risk and physical risk, like, yeah. you know, sort of these daredevil type of stunts. Mm-hmm. And um, they're not really what the majority of us, both male and female, engage in on a daily basis. Right. Um, and so when the research tends to look at risk, like everyday risk, like, you know, moving across the country, taking a job, you know, quitting a job to pursue an entrepreneurial idea, those types of risks that are far more common, um, they do find that women do make those risks. But the difference is that we use a different metric. Uh, we look at a risk return framework. So we look at the risk and we look at the return. But for women, the return is the emotional payoff. We look to see if we're getting a positive emotional payoff. And in some cases, if that positive emotion return is so good, we don't even view that decision as a risk. So, for example, I was talking to uh, a colleague of mine and she said, as we were talking about this idea, she said, you know, I, I moved my young family at the time, sold my house, moved across the country. All I had was a school for them and a job for me and nothing else. And everyone kept saying, you got to be crazy. It's so risky. Your family's so small. Why are you doing this? And she said for her, it, it was such a positive decision. It was such an emotional, you know, there's such an emotional positivity associated with that. She did not even view that as a risk for her. And so I think, again, you know, if you're facing a decision that you're finding difficult, think of the emotional payoff. Is it positive? And is that uh, positive emotion enough for you to make that risk? Would you say emotional payoff, just to clearly define that word, is, and when you say it's positive, is that like feelings of fulfillment, feelings of happiness, love, those yeah. kind of things? Yeah, absolutely. It could be any one of those things. It mm-hmm. could be, you know, the satisfaction that this is a goal I've always wanted to have and now I have an opportunity to meet and I have opportunity to, to pursue that. Uh, like you said, it could be satisfaction. Uh, it could be for romantic reasons. But again, it's not an it's not an objective goal. It's really to the individual to say, yeah, this is, I do feel very good about this. Um, I, I'm feeling very positive about this. Mm, interesting. So interesting. Okay. My last question before we wrap up is something that I have always wondered about because I find this a lot. One thing I talk about with my community is this, I, I, I gave it a name. I call it being multi-passionate. But what I mean by that is I find that it's very common with a lot of women that I work with and that I talk with and that I, you know, hear from that they often feel pulled in many directions. They often have many passions, many interests, many ideas. And sometimes we can begin to feel like, what goal should I even pursue? What dream should I pursue? What's right for me? What do I do sure. next? What's the next right thing? And so I'd be curious if in your research, you found anything about this from more of the sciencey side because I just mm-hmm. think of it as like you know I don't know we all just do this but do you find this to be more common in women feeling pulled in many directions I know we tend to multitask as you know just it's more common for sure. us to do that but even more so than multitasking almost being like multi-interested multi-talented starting projects but not quite finishing them because shiny object mm. syndrome kicks in I'd love <laughs> to hear your thoughts on that yeah, that's such a great question, actually. And it ties into the creative brain that I uh, talk about in the chapter where I, I look at creativity specifically. And brain emerging studies have shown that when women are creative, there's a very generalized activation in the brain. In other words, we're not looking, you know, if someone wants us to do something, we're activating a lot of different parts of the brain. We're activating our past memories and trying to think, well, what have I done in the past that 
would apply here. We're activating our visual part of the brain, trying to think of images or, or scenes or, you know, uh, th- that kind of thing. We're, we're activating our language centers. And so we tend to draw from all of these different areas when we are engaging in activities. So not just for multitasking, but even we have a generalized approach to problem solving. Whereas when men are being creative, it's a a localized activation. In other words, if they have to have a creative solution for a language-based problem, the language areas of the brain are being activated and so on. And so, um, you know, I think for for women, knowing that is important, but uh, one way to activate the creative brain is to sometimes step away, which is, I think, as women, we may have a hard time doing that. And research shows that just stepping away from an idea or even a goal, you know, when instead of ruminating on it, step away, whether it's going for a run or going out with some friends or doing something that is not related at all. Because what that does, it turns down the prefrontal cortex, the front of the brain that's busy planning and trying to think of what we need to do to to reach this goal and, and, and move forward on that. Instead, it activates a different part of the brain that's called the default mode network. That's the part of our brain that's the subconscious, the creative brain, your sense of self. Some people, uh, some psychologists have even called it your your actual consciousness part of the brain. So really the, the low level, non-thinking part of the brain. And so when you're stepping away from that, so when you're trying to think, like you mentioned, you know, when, you're, when the, your, your network is asking you, what should I do next? Almost stepping away from that idea and letting your default mode network, your creative brain direct you is a very effective way of making that decision. Wow, that is so fascinating. Okay, I actually can see that because there's been so many times in my life where I feel like I want to do six things at the same time. And so at times I've tried to do all six and then it crashes and burns. And so I started to learn like, hmm, maybe I should just pause all of them and not jump into anything too quickly. And usually... Usually when I do that and I take a step back and I kind of sit on it for a bit, it becomes mm. clear what to focus on. It becomes clear what the right decision is. It becomes clear. Um, and not only does it become clear, but I also begin to feel more creative. I begin to feel more inspired. I don't feel so worn out. So yeah. that's, that's really fascinating to me. Wow. This has been so interesting. Okay. I would love if you can share where everyone can find out more about you, where they can learn more from you, as well as where they can find your book. Sure. So um, I have a website, tracyalloway.com. Um, all my information about the books and my research is all available on there. I'm also on social media. I'd love to connect with your listeners. It's doctor, that's D-R, Tracy Alloway. I'm on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, uh, and I'd love for them to stop by and say hi. And my book is available everywhere books are sold. Awesome. Well, Tracy, Dr. Tracy, thank you so much for your time and for everything that you've shared. I cannot wait to check out your book in more detail. I've only gotten to thumb through it a little bit. So I'm excited to dive in. And we are just so thankful for the knowledge you've shared. It's been really encouraging for me. It makes my brain make more sense. And I absolutely feel more (laughs) empowered. So thank you so much for everything today. This has been such a blessing. Thank you so much for having me on your podcast. I really enjoyed it. I'd love to hear from you. It makes me so happy to see you tuning into this show. So if you're on Instagram, let me know what your favorite part of the show was by taking a screenshot of the episode you've tuned into and share it on your story. Tag me at Jordan Lee Dooley and tell me what your favorite quote or takeaway from today's show was so that I can see what's helping you and even feature what you share. This keeps me inspired and encouraged to keep creating new content 
And it's a great way to share something that your friends might love too. I can't wait to see you in Instagram world, my friend. Thanks for tuning in. To learn more about the She Podcast or to get involved in Jordan's growing community, visit jordanleedooley.com. Thanks for joining in today. Until next time, remain committed to intentional choices that refine your heart, faith, health, and work because your story is much too important to settle for anything less. Sometimes it takes a different approach to help you unlock your true potential. With Capella University's game-changing FlexPath learning format, you gain relevant skills you can apply to your career right away. Earn your degree from an accredited university and be confident in the quality of your education. Imagine your future differently at capella.edu. Capella University is accredited by the Higher Learning Commission. Learn more at capella.edu slash accreditation.